Off top, did you know that axolotls can regenerate not just limbs or tissue, but also organs like heart, brain, spinal cord, all that stuff. Let's make a new one. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. What up, Charlie? I can't wait for today's show. What? You look. What is an axolotl? It's like a salamander type of animal. You don't know what an axolotl is? No. Get your animal game up, Charlie. Google that thing. Get a good look at it. It's actually, you've probably seen it before. They look kind of like they have a mane, kind of. They're like a cool looking, weird. Huh. It is um, a a mole salamander. Yeah. Oh, it is an actual, technically is a salamander. Yeah. Have you seen that before? Like, that's a recognizable animal, but I guess you don't know. Most people don't know the name. I wish I knew how you tried to spell it at first. I, got, I mean, I got, you know. Oh, you it, got autocorrect. It, you autocorrect to finish the word for me. <laughs> Good job. All right. So today, at some point, I think we're going to get into all the remaining teams in depth, all the remaining NBA teams in depth. First of all, we'll get into that. I was going to address the fact that you got your legs out and that you're dressed like mm. a 50-year-old uh, grandfather, maybe 55 year old grandfather, but we're not going to talk about how your legs look like petri dishes with little uh, single cell organisms living on top. I think the hair, like it's, they're so pale, and the hair looks like little single cell organisms floating around in a petri dish. I think I'm going to go shorter and shorter shorts each episode. You'll get more and more. You milky got full thigh. of yourself. You got full of yourself because a couple of people said they were surprised that you're handsome, and now you're just bringing out. You got all your chest hair out. You got your legs showing. Whatever. I'm just. I, it's more. I've gotten more comfortable. This is what I'd wear in a normal day. If we, if I saw you in our other office on a yes, normal sir. day where I'm not on camera, this is what I'd be wearing. So this is more about how great you are and how you made me feel so comfortable that I could be myself. Oh, I know gosh. you love those compliments. I love compliments you're so, so much. Let's get warm, to the content. If warm we ever, and inviting. We've run you're off, the best. We've run off all our YouTube viewers. We might just have to edit that whole thing out because no one is staying to look at your quads. Great point. All right. So uh, what we want to talk about, or at least where I want to start is convince me that the Celtics have a chance. I think I'm almost there. I've started to convince myself. They've gotten one game, and when you guys are listening to it, they will be about to play uh, another, and hopefully for their sake and for the sake of an entertaining finals or an entertaining conference uh, finals, they could potentially get another one. It seems that it comes down to at least they don't attack the basket, which means they live and die by the three. Their defense seems better. But that's what it comes down to is they're going to hit their their shots. They don't. I guess I can't say they don't attack the basket because Tatum attacked the basket a lot this game. But they don't get a lot of free throws. When you look at their the way they compose their points and how good their defense is, the scoring is so reliant on Jason Tatum. Is he hitting or not hitting? And that's the, the factor is he's going to have to go into that 51-point mode for a couple more games. And I think it also depends on the Heat because the Heat, we recognize that they are probably the least talented team to make it this far in the playoffs in a long time. Uh, and some of their players who we've come to expect, like Gabe Vincent, come to expect him to show up big, is rolled his ankle, so that could play into it also. Caleb that, Martin. Yeah, 
Well, Caleb got hurt? No, no, I'm just saying oh, like yeah, another yeah, player who were just right. expecting to be a, a legitimate dominant force in the conference finals. That's game. right. So some of those players, Duncan Robinson, who's not a dominant force, but it's been a productive, uh, frankly, centerpiece of their offense at certain points. Like he's, it seems like that's their offense that they want to go to when they sit Jimmy down. It's like, all right, we're going to run Duncan off a bunch of screens and hopefully his shooting ability either hits a three or opens up things for other people. So... Uh, and Kyle Lowry's older. So that's what we have to believe in. I think it's probably I've talked myself into more uh, the Heat would have to struggle more than this, the Celtics are going to have to play incredibly well for this series to to turn into something. I agree. And so statistically during the regular season, the Heat were not a great three-point shooting team. They're right around 34% um, coming into game four. They were shooting 48% in the conference finals and that reverted back to 33.9. So the question is, is like, which heat team are we going to get? Are we going to get the team where Jimmy Butler can provide relentless rim pressure with Bam Adebayo and their open shots that are created? They're going to knock down half of them, in which case they aren't really an underdog if you're going to shoot 50% for three. (laughs) Um, Or is the team that we saw for the first 82 games going to rear its ugly head for three more? Um, because if you're talking about sustainability of who's more in game to game, what, what, what should you expect? The history of the NBA should tell us that the team that has the better roster that's been better for multiple years in a row should go into each game with the advantage. Like if you were to, if you were to take game five in a vacuum, game six in a vacuum, game seven in a vacuum, you looked at the rosters, the statistics, you would pick the Celtics in each of those games. But... The but I have here is there's literally no logic with Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. None. I mean, the the at some point we'll talk about all the things that the Heat have accomplished since Pat Riley got there. It's impressive. It's outstanding. It's up there with any other team over this stretch. However, I'm having a hard time with the analysis of this Celtics team because so much of it is just analysis of what... Th- their heart or their hunger or them quitting, which like, I get it. I work on TV too. And I know that we are entertainers as much as we are informers. Well, we're, we're not just like, we aren't just the only ones who are like speculating here. We have the, right. the weird stuff that's been leaked about them being upset about Adoka's firing and how that was handled. We have the stuff about them pretending to be nice at press conferences when they don't really like each other. So those to me are post hoc justifications. Like, that's my assumption is every team I've ever been on, we've had turmoil. We've had issues. There's always a story to be told. And I think more often what we do is we take the biggest, shiniest thing and try to attribute the result to that big, shiny thing. Just like with the Warriors. No matter what happened with the Warriors, after Jordan Poole got punched in the face by Draymond Green, the story of the season was going to hinge on that. Had they won the finals, we'd have said that punch was the difference in the season. It's what brought them together. It's what, like, right? That's the story we would have told. Or they overcame the punch. Yeah, yeah they or overcame. they overcame the punch or something like that. Or it required Draymond to mature to a point that they needed for him to be. Like, that's what or, the story would have been. Or counterpoint. Or 
it forced them to be so bad that they had to trade Jordan Poole's <laughs> bum ass for a competent NBA player. That's the story for next year's yeah. championship when the Warriors win that. But I guess that's, I, I, I don't know. The older I get, the more I realize that I don't actually know anything. I feel like my 20s was about being arrogant and wrong. And my 30s was like, oh yeah, that guy was arrogant and wrong. But now that I've entered my 40s, I've just accepted that I don't know shit. And, and I think no one really knows a lot of things. And we try to take these big, shiny pieces and use them. And this is, I feel like we've spun off into a much broader conversation about you want to attribute certain uh, successes or failures in your life or in anything, any in, in business, in any walk of life. You want to attribute them to some like neat, coherent storyline. And this was when I buckled down and said I was going to beat a man. I, I can't believe you're saying this because I feel like this is going counter to the entire Dominique Foxworth ethos of team building, of organizational culture. Yeah, like, it's not going against the, this is not about organizational culture. Well, it is because you, in the NBA, we've talked about this, the culture is set by the best players on the team. And if there's, if there's organizational strife from Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart, that is sort of the team culture that's been sort of pervasive and insidious for six years and is getting worse. Yeah. So I don't think that it's getting worse necessarily. And I think that what they, the, the six to whatever year run that they've had, mm-hmm. it's been largely successful. Very successful. Right. So like what we do in the playoffs is a combination of looking for this shiny thing to blame things on. And also we swing crazy like a pendulum on the result of every game from 51 points to he's the second coming. Last year, we were comparing Jason Tatum to Kevin Durant. Yeah. And now we're like he kicked his ass in the first round. Yeah. Swept and- him. Boom. Well, I mean, it was a tight sweep, kind of like <laughs> the Lakers won. But anyway, you try to get me mad because you know how I feel about KD. But anyway, the point that I'm making is it it just, I don't know. What really has bothered me about this is the storification of all of this stuff about how mentally tough Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are and how they gave up and they quit. No, they got their asses beat. I didn't get any sense from watching them play. And it was an ugly ass beating that people are like, oh, they don't care. And they're like questioning them as humans. And I think it is also particularly offensive when I look at some of the people that are doing it, like Chuck, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, they can say whatever they want. But like, all these regular ass sports journalists out here who like, man, they just don't got it. They they gave up. They're not tough. Like, stop it. They got the asses beat. You're, you don't get to this level of playing. And yeah, maybe there's another level that they haven't gotten to yet. But it's not as if these players and this team has not overcome things in the past. And we're just swinging on the last game. Like, oh, no, but it's I mean, I, I actually sort of disagree a tiny bit. It's like, the rule of the NBA is the more talented teams usually win. And that's why players get so much credit for championships is, oh, you're better than them. It's a seven game series. You should win. And so when you have a team that was one of the best defensive teams we'd seen in a long time with the 2022 Celtics and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart stop playing defense, the team gets uh, considerably worse in their postseason run and then goes down 3-0 against a Heat team that has a significant talent deficit you have to attribute it to something and you're not going to attribute it to, oh, they're just worse players than we thought. Um, so it has to be cohesion. It has to be effort. They've 
I mean, even Joe Mazzulla said that he there were points where he's like, I have to do better. I think I've lost part of the locker room. Well, okay, if that's the case and you only liked half a season of Ime Odoka because he called them soft every chance they could until they responded. Well, you ran Brad Stevens into the into the uh, front office. He was one of the best coaches we had seen in decades in the NBA. Uh, Missoula was like a chosen assistant. Like, we have to look at the players somewhat and no, that, they're, that saying, they're dogless. No, they're momentarily no, see, this dogless. Is, this is ridiculous. See, that's where I draw the line. I'm not saying that they don't deserve blame, but the criticism that they aren't tough is like, okay, a team that's bad for the f- beginning of the season and then turns into the best team in the league for the second half of the season and then runs through the playoffs all the way to the finals mm-hmm. is a team that has some dog, a ton of dogs. Okay. So then all of a sudden there, we can't pre- a team that is down and has to win back to back uh closeout games against the 76ers that is a team that is not dogless like that's, mm, that's the thing that Harden. blows my thanks James Harden no Whatever. dog well last you, season, you have more dog than James Harden and Joel Embiid congratulations Boston Celtics you're tougher than Embiid and Harden this is you now Ooh, now just trying to to I'm win the debate with Tobias Harris on the other side last season required dog right Oh yeah. Okay. So now all of a sudden it's dead. They, their their dog died between seasons. Ime Udoka took the dog out uh, when he left. Uh, no. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's not a dog. Maybe it's cohesion and things run its course. <sighs> yeah, and I think that's sometimes that can be fair. And I also think that sometimes we want to be able to point to something and be right about it. Well, there it. needs to be an and explanation. So, hold when on. The, worst- I, the point I'm making that I never got around to making is when things aren't going well. People are going to look for a simple way to to explain it. And all the things that are challenging in their locker locker room right now, we are assuming that those things are causing the issues, not the fact that they stink are causing the issues in the locker room. We would not be getting these stories if they're playing well. The only point I'm making is we don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. And now we want to, because when they were playing well and we when we were winning, we didn't hear these stories. Now we're like, oh, let's figure out a way to explain this. And that's all I'm saying. And then it's... And we have heard stuff between Tatum and Brown, whether it's fit or them not being best friends off the court for five years. Okay. Yeah, you can hear that about every team. We heard stuff. We saw AD not stand up when LeBron uh, broke the title or yeah. broke the um scoring. But he had already been at Taco Tuesday. <laughs> but anyway, relationships can go up and down. The only point I'm making is we don't know which caused what, but did we always tend to want to be able to explain something when you can't you don't know and when you're you retell your life story you're going to be like hey it was when that teacher doubted me that well, i decided i was going to make something of myself no it wasn't you got lucky somewhere along the line and the same thing is happening here with us wanting to be able to explain everything that happens in the nba when we can't and i sure I get and also that. stop telling and stop saying that these grown men are dogless that I've obviously dis- uh, demonstrated they're a dog, especially when y'all ain't got no dog. And your, your little tennis league, you got your ass whomped in your last game against some guy. He's like you ain't got no dog. Years old. Yeah. <laughs> a dogless you, out there. You got your ass beat in a tennis match by a 45 year old man. You sure did. So bad that you dressed up like him for the show today. <laughs> he actually was wearing a blue polo shirt. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> oh, he beat the dog out of you. That's all. That's all I'm saying. And I don't don't think you have to be able to shoot a three to to uh criticize basketball players but it gets out of hand when it you are when we have to listen to people question like 
something that- I just think it's fine to ask for an explanation when there's a more talented it it runs against everything we know or we think about the NBA when less talented or more talented teams perform significantly worse against less talented teams I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask for explanation and I'm not saying that I don't fill up uh, many hours of content discussing those explanations but it takes a lot more for me to get to questioning like the fortitude of a human being especially someone who's already de- demonstrated they have whatever fortitude you need to overcome several ob- obstacles. Like while in the same draft that we had other they have players. Ex- they've exceeded all expectations as a duo um, where we are. I mean, I guess. So Jalen Brown has exceeded what we thought he was going to be. Whether or not you can be disappointed by him now because of how far he's come, I think is another conversation. Of course, you wish he was a more complete offensive player. Jason Tatum was the MVP favorite at points this season over Jokic and Embiid. So to expect more from him, it's, and, and now even if he's exceeded what he should be as the number three pick in the draft, that's that's human nature. We're gonna want someone with those skills to. Like you're right. talking about comparing to Kevin Durant. No, we're we want him to be that. You you are have done something that I recognize as a nice argument ploy is that you've changed the argument. So it's no longer about yes, it's fine to expect more of them. All I'm saying is don't question the how tough these guys are or don't call them quitters because they get their asses beat. Like that to me is Didn't call them quitters. Lots of people said they gave oh, yeah, up. Yeah. There was a whole news cycle about how this team gave up. And so like there's a difference in questioning it and and then pointing to them and saying you are less than, which it just seems Well, I think I think that's fair. I would ridiculous rather, I would, and absurd. I'd rather question the pairing. I would also rather Yeah, let's I'm fine yeah. with that. Like roster construction, cool. Can I um can playing I fox well for a in second? big moments? Cool. But don't get out here and talk about they ain't tough. They're not man enough. Shut up. Can I can I Foxworth for a second? Good luck. Not in those clothes. Uh you would totally wear these shorts. <laughs> you were wearing they yellow were, shorts they were, five minutes ago. They that were the better. same length. They would look better. I, I yeah, promise no, you. Yeah, no shit. I, I, put, I no would put shit. that fit on. It'd be the flyest thing going, but it just is. Hey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Real real shock there. Your <laughs> legs would look better than mine in these tennis ball it's colored also shorts. the torso. Yeah, and, you yeah, know, the, the, the moobs. The, <laughs> the color contrast. Um, anyway, go ahead. Um, a lot of this is the, is the organization's <laughs> fault. And yeah. it goes back to last year with Robert Williams. And this is the same thing that the Celtics did with Isaiah Thomas years ago. You had a precious asset, someone you drafted late, who was the best defensive player in the NBA in 2022, who hurt his knee. You brought him back too early. He needed a second surgery and he has not been the same player. You want to talk about the Celtics are not the best defensive team. More than Ime Udoka, it's it's Robert Williams. And you can we can talk about Marcus Smart being defensive player of the year. We can talk about dominant perimeter defenders, but a center should win that award every single season. Someone yeah, who can be impact. Someone who can be switchable on the pick and roll, someone who can destroy the rim, someone who provides rim pressure on the offensive end from the dunker spot. And that guy's not the same guy. And that is twice in a decade the Celtics and their medical staff not doing as what is best for the players. So if you want to talk about pervasive distrust, quitting on an organization, that in all honesty, minus the jokes, starts at the absolute top. Oh, I'm in. I'm in for an organization. It starts bashing. at the top. You talk about free agents not wanting to go there, other than Al Horford. You talk about how they handled oh. Gordon Hayward, Isaiah Thomas, Robert Williams. Oh. but seriously, oh. like that. Oh my god, that's the difference in the teams. Clip it's it. Like, Put this on the internet. It's but it's like we've seen what Anthony Davis did in the postseason. Not that Robert Williams is Anthony Davis, but he was probably the closest thing on the defensive end, and he's not the same guy. And if you want to talk about someone playing with less effort. I would too. I would too if you told me my knee couldn't get worse and I was fine and you put me out there. 
I I take back everything I said. You look great today. Thank you. That was you. You Foxworth the hell out of that, and I appreciate it. Um, well, from one team with what appears to be terrible organizational culture, we'll go to the culture team in the league, the Heat culture. So, the last twenty five years. They have been, you could argue that they've been the most impressive franchise uh, in professional basketball. I don't think you can argue they've been the best because you can look at the titles elsewhere. There have been more titles, more um, finals appearances for the Lakers and for the Spurs over this stretch. I think both of those teams have a better winning percentage. I think Utah might have a better winning percentage also. But as you know, the regular season is just a preseason in the NBA. It doesn't really matter. But... They are near the top. The The argument for them being the most impressive is they've done the most with less. Yeah. So like culture, the, the, which is culture. Yeah. The, the I'm only half kidding. It actually is crazy. No, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I they do have a distinct culture. Yeah. And Grittiest, it seems to have been, toughest, been successful. most conditioned team in the NBA. Yeah. yeah. And it seems to have been successful and they develop this talent consistently. The title with Shaq and Wade, where Wade was MVP, balled out, like that was a surprise. Like they were not a title favorite coming into the season. I guess you add Shaq to any roster, right? Even though it was like towards the end of his productive period, it was his last dominant year yeah. as, the, as the MDP. Yes, <laughs> they. But they were. I would say I haven't looked back at the odds, but like that was a result of you could argue like the first sign of heat culture. I think you're gonna say it was a result of the refs because you could yeah, go there. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew you were gonna say that at some point. All right, and then you could argue that the LeBron Wade Bosch thing underachieved, but over four years they got two titles. I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. We'll call that like they did what they were supposed to do with what they got. Sure. If it is even as bad as that 2011 final still hurts me. Yeah. And then what really drives it home is these last, I don't know, five, six years. Yeah. And they have ridiculously overachieved. Yes. In this period. And when you look at the players that are, that were making these runs, it's, very different players like yes Jimmy Butler is the center of this but like Gordon Dragic was like a big minutes getter at one point then you have uh, Duncan Robinson pop up Tyler Hero pop up Duncan Robinson disappear Tyler Hero get hurt Max Struess and Gabe Vincent and yeah it's just that is the impressive part that's how you make the argument that it's been the most impressive even if it is has not been the best over this stretch. I mean, they've definitely gotten the most out of their players in like a way that's even beyond the Spurs. Like the Spurs, we've talked about this. Like they found a way to mine value that was underappreciated by the rest of the NBA when it was guards from European leagues with Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili resuscitating Boris Diaw, et cetera, et cetera. The Heat doing it with undrafted players, I actually don't think it's repeatable without the team culture, the coaching staff, the training staff, and their development plan. Like, has anybody ever taken a leap like Jimmy Butler has at this point in his career? Because I think the way that we think about Jimmy Butler from hmm. the bubble on has elevated him in a way because we think about Jimmy Butler, or at least we talk about him now as if he's one of those upper echelon players. Yeah. He was always prior to that, like, eh. I don't know if he's if he's the best player on your team, you're not winning a championship. Right. That seems obviously wrong now. Yeah. I mean, I think he's 
improved as much. I mean, it's so hard to say. You look at the other side of the bracket, and Jokic was the forty-first pick in the draft, and right. <laughs> it took him like three years. And then he's you know all NBA every single year. I think there have. No, been I'm talking about a leap at this point in their career, though. Is the point that I'm talking? I don't about. know because I honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of it. Like in basketball, you know, yeah, you know when they're fourteen, yeah. <laughs> you know, and well, the exception of Giannis and Jokic, but like you know, pretty early on the ceiling. And Jimmy Butler, we all thought he had already reached his ceiling. Ironically, I think you could think of. Kyle Lowry is someone who bounced around to a couple teams. Like he was in. He never Memphis. got to this level, though. Nev- no, never got to this level. Chauncey Billups, who yeah, he won around. a Finals MVP, but he was also just never as good as Jimmy Butler is now. And he had several years where teams just were like, "We will just don't want you here. Go play elsewhere." There's nothing like the the image leap that he's taken mm-hmm. this year's playoffs combined with the bubble playoffs and combined with the run that they made last year when his his shot at the end was the difference in them being in the finals and the Celtics not being in the finals and us yelling about how the Celtics didn't have no dog back then. But anyway, what do you think it means for his legacy going forward if he's able to win? I want to go both ways. If he's able to win the championship, which I think we all believe is incredibly unlikely, but we thought that about the the um, other three rounds. But it seems like he's on the verge of that. But he still hasn't closed this one out. As much goodwill as his reputation has gained, what if the Celtics come back and win? Do you think that Jimmy loses all that he's gained or loses some of that? He, he he's has gained? to. He yeah. has to. Like, I mean, like, we got so much traction out of the 3 1 jokes with yeah. Steph and LeBron. And that was with Stephen Curry, who was a two time MVP and already yeah. is a champion. If, if Jimmy Butler, who we all elevated to be top of the list of guys you'd want in a postseason series, loses four in a row to the Celtics, no matter what the talent deficit is, like that will be a stain on how we view him as a playoff performer, fair or not. How high do you think he gets if he beats Jokic and the Nuggets and wins the championship as the finals MVP? It is totally unprecedented. We were looking at finals MVPs, and there are some there are some ones who are not the best player on their team, whether it's Andre Iguodala or Tony Parker in 2007 with the Spurs. Joe Dumars, who's playing with Isaiah Thomas. Um, and then the Chauncey Billups Pistons team. But that's the only team that didn't have like a true superstar where they maybe they just weren't the best player in that series or someone got like white hot. Jimmy Butler in the Heat doing this, it would be the greatest run in NBA history for a team overachieving. It would be the biggest upset in NBA history that this team wins the title as an eight seed. It would be without precedent. And you could look at that two ways. That Jimmy Butler is in his own tier, completely unique, sort of floating in purgatory between Pantheon-level guys. Or you can say that you have to view him that way. You yeah, have, to, have view to view him as a, as a Dirk Nowitzki, Gian, well, not, not Giannis, multiple MVPs. And probably not Dirk with MVPs, but like in that tier of someone whose superlative run was so great that you have to put him as like a top 25 player of all time, top-ish. Yeah. The, what he's done in the playoffs, and I guess Dirk is a, a reasonable comparison. If Dirk but, had, you know, 30,000 points, one MVP. No, but I guess and like, is I'm, it the whole, is, I'm not talking yeah. about them as a player yeah. over the course of their career. I'm talking about the playoff run. No one's yeah. had a playoff run like this with a group of guys that are right. not also in all-star it's conversations crazy. It's crazy. And, and realistic high towns. I know that much has been made of, like, um, Jokic doing it without mm-hmm. players who were in the All-Star game, but we all know they have All-Star caliber players who just haven't been in the All-Star game. So I, I guess that's my my the thing that intrigues me about this is 
how will we talk about Jimmy Butler if he if he's able to pull this all the way off? Because we've already elevated him to talking about how no one's like him except for Jordan in the playoffs, which I mean, that's the the conversation that was being had last week. And that it's just so silly. It's silly. But I mean, he's been elevated to that because we swing on these ridiculous pendulums. It's Michael. Michael Yeah. And uh, speaking of us finding ways to justify this foolishness, I think like uh, playing music in the locker room is one of the reasons why they turned it around because Jimmy was playing some old rock. I don't know. It's just nonsense. And you know it and I know it. Here's here's one thing I do think in this. I think that don't make threes go in. Yeah. Well, I think we'll start having a legitimate case for Eric Spolster as the best coach in the history of basketball if they win this title. Um, because there's a lot of meat left on that bone. He could be doing this for a couple more decades. He'll have three titles, a fourth finals appearance, and it's not just fifth finals appearance. And uh, not just that he is can coach LeBron James so he can win with the scrappiest bunch of underdogs the league has ever seen. Because this is not, like, I think people will point to the 2004 Pistons. They had four All-Stars, four guys who made all defensive teams, multiple guys who made all NBA teams, Ben Wallace, who won multiple defensive player of the years. Um, Talent-wise and accolades-wise, not comparable to this Heat team whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, Tayshaun Prince is the first-round guy. Uh, so was Rip, was a first-round guy. Uh, Chauncey was a first-round guy, too. Third um, pick in the draft. Yeah, uh, I guess Ben Wallace wasn't, right? He was kind of the but the she- fine. Sheed was also yeah, top, she- top of the yeah, first-round guy. Yeah, so yeah, they were full of talent. They just were not the favorites. And they didn't have an A1 guy. They didn't even have a Jimmy. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. So what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go visit your parents, hang out with friends and catch a movie? They're all solid options, but what about devoting time to yourself? Maybe taking up a personal hobby you've put off. With everything in your life that you handle, work, picking the kids up from school, running errands, you never really get enough me time. The best way to squeeze that time into your schedule is to first understand your own personal value and then make yourself a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Prioritizing mental health is an important part of my life. Let BetterHelp empower you to be the best version of yourself and guide you along the journey of becoming a better you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot DF. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. 
And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. All right, so I think we go from one team that's not super talented but is playing well to a team that is playing well and is super talented. Like I want to talk about the Nuggets. Yeah. Like, what is the future for the Nuggets? So there's a there's a route or there's a, a path that we see laid out in front of us right now that we think the Nuggets are likely going to be the finals favorites and likely going to win the championship. Jokic MVP, all of that. That led us to think about what is next for them in the future. And it seems like the future is really bright for them. And of course, with injuries and stuff, they know better than anyone else is that you can't like count your chickens before they hatch. But I don't think Jokic is going to get hurt. He don't move fast enough to tear anything or, or pull any muscles or I don't know. He's big. So maybe knock on wood wear and tear on his feet could be a problem. But you have that combined with what turns out to be pretty good contracts yeah if their big three is michael porter jr uh jamal murray and Jokic, they have michael porter jr already locked up until how long i think until 2027 same with Jokic. damn that's good um, you got yeah. those two pieces there and jamal murray will be up for an extension and given the way that he's playing he's playing like an all nba guard yes in the playoffs when it matters most and it's not just this year you can also go back to uh, the all three year. of his playoff yeah, runs, all three of them. He's played really well in these really important moments. And because of probably in part because of the injuries, he is not going to be eligible for the super max because you need to get like some all NBA type honors. Yes. And we all saw Jason Tatum uh, reach those honors and his contract. Jason Tatum's contract is going to be 59 million a year. Jamal Murray, this offseason, he has an opportunity to uh, sign an extension, which will be $48 million a year. That's that's a lot when it comes to constructing a roster. Yeah, and I think I actually think if you, if you, even if you compare it to uh, Jalen Brown to, to him in totality, it's three years, 144 for Murray, five years, 295 for Jalen Brown. And talking about number two options, that is crazy, the investment difference. Um, the take I have on the Nuggets... The Nuggets are they're winning the NBA championship. They're I sorry Heat, sorry Celtics. Maybe uh, this is premature, but the Nuggets are winning the championship, and I actually think that we are still underselling how good this team is to me because of the injuries. Because we basically lost Murray for two playoffs because of one ACL, we lost Porter Jr. for a playoffs. This is the fourteen fifteen Warriors, and you in like. 
the beginning of a dynasty. Is what but also, saying. like Jokic is just as unique of a player as Curry. Maybe mm-hmm. not quite at that pantheon pantheon level, but just as unique I mean, of an impact, offensive force. Yeah, his impact on the offense yeah. is as big. So we were looking at some numbers before this podcast, and it was staggering. So we think of the death lineup as the most dominant lineup in the modern NBA. When you had Curry, this is the pre Durant Warriors because with Durant on that team, yeah, it was, it's incomparable. But when you had Curry, Clay Thompson. Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, and Draymond Green. In the 14-15 season, the entire season, that that lineup, that five-man lineup was plus 16.7 per 100 possessions. They just kicked the living shit out of everyone. And that's what you that's what we expected for the death lineup. And that's when we saw them go in against LeBron's Cavs. Other teams were like, death lineup's in. This is about to become a blowout when they just be a barrage in the third quarter. Well, when you look at the lineups that have Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., and Jamal Murray, with any fourth and fifth piece, whether it's KCP, Aaron Gordon, Christian Brown, JaVale McGee, even in some of those lineups earlier this season, they're plus 16.4 per 100 possessions for the whole season. It's just those three guys on the floor with anyone else, with me and you running on the wing with them. They are the death lineup. And like that, that hasn't been thought about. We didn't even have faith in them going into the postseason because yeah. of their one-month swoon where Jokic like wasn't comfortable with the MVP dialogue. It wasn't even because of the one-month swoon because I am one of those people who was yeah. not confident before the playoffs. It was just because we hadn't seen it. Yeah. And like I had gotten so brainwashed by the idea of needing a big wing yeah. to, to be like – a go-to guy and I underappreciated how good Jamal Murray was going to be. Cause I think that I, I, at no point did I have any issue with Jokic or thinking that he wasn't good enough, but I, I just, just remembering how the playoffs always end up looking. Yeah. A ball handler is going to have to make some plays for you. And that, and Jokic is a ball handler, but you get what I'm saying. And I had just completely forgotten that Jamal Murray is that dude in that situation. He's capable and he's been that all the way through the playoffs. I haven't been as wrong as some other people, which is nice. I can fly under shout the radar this Wright. year. Yeah, we can shout him out. We can shout out a bunch of other people, but today we are not starting any beef. We do need some show beef, though, at some yeah. point. I think we're big enough now. Yeah, are we I big enough so. now I to start so. a fight? All right, we'll figure it out. We'll strategize later. We're open to suggestions who we should beef with. Um, But how saying that they're the 14-15 Warriors – is projecting a run of success. And I think that given their roster uh, and their age and their health, there's some chance that that could go wrong. But I think there it's reasonable to expect them to be able to put the right talent around these guys. People are going to want to pay for, want to play with them and they will have some financial room to make the talent work around them, at least until Jokic and, uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s contracts are up. Right. But that does not take into consideration the rest of the league. Right. Who will be the obstacles for them? So, like, uh, the Bucks come to mind, but they are not in great shape. They're, they're a mess. They have, they have Giannis, and then they have some decisions to make around the other guys and figure out how they're going to build around them. The Celtics, again, I think the Celtics aren't as in bad shape as They're anyone. in great shape. Yeah, uh, even though they might lose now, and, and even though you believe them to be dogless, they, they are in great shape to be contenders going forward. I blame the organization. You blame the players. Let's I get do that not. Right. I would never. I love the players. hate the organization. We never got the um the the band the corn cob pipe off the ground for the Celtics. Just, we ended up in a spot where we just wanted corn cob pipes. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so it's like we folded uh, on that really the, quickly. The seduction of the corn cob pipe. All right, uh, the Grizzly. Obviously, that's 
very much up in the air right now. I got the Suns, Pelicans, Warriors. I think the Warriors are in a bad side. The Pelicans is interesting. It's like, what is Zion going to be? Which is a question. I think the Suns is they're real competitors. Oh, yeah. They have a full season together and they can build around Porter and Durant knowing that they have them. But so we're looking at the Celtics and the Suns and I guess the Heat. <laughs> Definitely. And the Bucks. I mean, any team that's Giannis, any team that's Steph Curry. Like if I think it's it's become so abundantly clear in this postseason that even regular season matters for seeding. Like winning, winning begets winning in the NBA, um, which makes projecting the Heat forward in future seasons more difficult. Oh, I about the Kings. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the Kings are definitely up there. But I think any team that has, you can rebound, you can rebuild around Curry, you can rebuild around Giannis. It just seems um, so. I guess the the interesting part of this is. Does it look like anyone else is in better shape? No, no, yeah, no. The Nuggets the, are the Nuggets are in the best shape to move forward uh, for the next few years. And like, of course, Michael Porter Jr.'s back can be a huge thorn in this if you're paying a guy thirty five million dollars a year and he stops being able to be a functional player. But he's his movements improved. He's become a good defender. Um, he's become a really useful player. To me, it's like I actually think that this asset became underappreciated for us as a team because of the the injuries the last two years. And like we would view this as more expected than shocking had Jokic not been on two playoff teams without any co-stars. Yeah. I guess you're I guess that's right. Um what are you projecting for them going forward championship wise? What would you put the over under for them for championships between for the next five years? That's about how long we think that this current group is safe and stable at, at the over under i think is if you're not including this year is 1.5 like two championships i think is a, is a successful run for any nba team there's so much player movement there's so much chicanery that happens with big market there's teams. gonna be a lot less though maybe i mean like uh, it just it's like what happens if the next mega star ends up on a different team and is loaded what happens if there's a jalen brown trade that makes the, that gives the celtics that are like an A1 with Tatum. What happens if Kyrie signs for the veteran minimum with the Lakers and like they have one final run with like a super team? I think Kyrie is not signing for the veterans minimum. Of course, I'm just saying like there's so much weird stuff that happens with player movement. I got you, but I I guess the... I need to take some time to really understand the new uh, cap rules after the latest CBA kicks in. Because if I remember reading through them, there was like restrictions on uh, on trades that you can make, restrictions on like it, it just felt like everything was about keeping things a lot more stagnant. But I guess it also with the um, what's going to happen is with these more aggressive luxury uh, tax rules, there probably will be some actual good players that have to go into free agency, yeah. which that that'll be interesting. That'll mix the league up a little bit more and players will sign places that have money, which is something that hasn't happened much in the past. You know what I mean? Like players would go places where they thought they were, were better suited to win. Yeah. Mostly it was not like, whereas in football and other sports, it's like I'm a free agent who got some money. Well, and if you're going to do that, if you're going to flatten the movement, then the nuggets should be the the favorite. But yeah, I'm not sure that I'm not forward. sure that the long term impact impact is that the movement is flattened. I think that the movement will be more uh, uh, more consistent. I guess mm-hmm. it'll be more about we're not going to go into the tax. Yeah. Then I want off this team. 
Right. As it has been in the past, right? It yeah. seems like I just I, I don't know. I feel like that's so far gone with NBA players where yeah. they've gotten No, it's not that I think the player's gonna stop. I think that and again, this is probably irresponsible of me having not really investigated the new CBA, but as I understand it, it's going to be harder to cobble together enough yeah. contracts to move a guy. Especially when the salaries are gonna yeah, Explode it's gonna, it's going to be hard to move guys. It's going to be hard to get together a bunch of top talent because of the more onerous luxury tax. Is they they're not going to remove the power from the players or the incentive of the players to go to other locations. They're just going to make it really difficult for the players to be able to orchestrate the trades and the movements that they want to. That's what it seems like is going to happen to me. Dirty dog, Adam Silver. You, you know how I again. feel about Adam Silver, man. Like I I like Adam Silver. He's a a fun guy to talk to but it's not judgment of him as much as it's it's the job so while he was building building up all this goodwill and y'all was like he's the most progressive commissioner yeah he's just all sipping remember, for the players 24 7 nothing that matters until and then the cba comes around and you look up and you see what's happening one of these times in the summer when there's less to talk about i'm doing deep dive union talk because that is what i'm actually passionate about sleep podcast for uh, everyone that's fine they can sleep but i'm gonna put it out in the world for the 13 insomnia solved like by dominique foxworth <laughs> it will be intense and interesting uh, talking about cap ramifications and the power asymmetry between the union and the league. It's supposed to be a fair matchup. It is not. There are weight classes for a reason in boxing. There's no weight classes in multi-billion dollar uh, sports mega I'm done. I hate this. I mean, like, we're the fans just getting punched in the face by the welterweights and the heavyweights in this one. So, <sighs> But that's what you're into. You like it. Yeah, <laughs> that takes us to Roman Roy. Does that take us to succession? Oh, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. All right, so succession season finale or series, series finale this Sunday. Uh, can't wait to watch it. What's your prediction for how it ends? Who ends? So it seemed like it was coming down to the the big chair being held, yeah. which is CEO of the, was it, Waystar Royco? Yeah. It was coming down to the to three siblings, uh, Kendall, Roman and Shiv seems like Roman fell out of the running recently yeah. or took himself out of the running recently. Who do you think ends up? I guess you can put your buddy. Yeah, we could put Greg in there. Greg if Greg, in the mix. If buddy of Lucas Madsen. If Greg is going to end up in the big chair. Um, I think it's our number one boy. I think it's Kendall. I think the, like we've been, obviously people have talked about like the King Lear comparisons, the Hamlet comparisons um, with all of it. I just think that, He's going to end up with what he wants, but he's going to lose it all. Lose, lose family, lose siblings, lose joy. Did you, did you read King Lear in high school or college or something? No. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought, I thought that I missed I out just, on something. Just, I yeah, just, just read from, the show recaps. Like, hey, this is King Lear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was about to say, when they were making those references, I was nodding and smiling. Same. But I was like, Same. I actually don't know the story of King Lear. I'm not up on my shaky. Um, not a huge, I'm not a huge like reading of plays guy. Love yeah. to love, take me to the Kennedy Center or Broadway. Three hour shows, lovely. Nobody, oh, wow. Nobody's into it. They just make you do it sometimes in school. I guess if you go to. If so you, you don't are, think all those people who like pretend that they love reading Shakespeare and stuff don't actually. None of them do. I mean, there's probably a small subsect of society that is actually, that's their, that's their yum. Yeah. And that's fine. But most people, you know what plays? They were written to be performed. Yeah. People don't want to read plays. Yeah. Nobody out here reading Billy Shakes. It's just not, it's not what's popping. Anyway, um, I think the the point of the show, I guess, 
I have this distinct feeling that we are going to not necessarily be disappointed, but we are going to the questions that we thought were going to be answered aren't going to be answered. Hmm. I think that we believe that there's going to be some big point made about capitalism or about power. Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I do think you think somebody's going to die. No, no, no. You don't think he was going to die. I thought that would have happened in the penultimate I do, episode. Yeah. I do think that there is going to be, you're probably right. I agree. Kendall's going to be the CEO, mm -hmm. but he's going to be broken. Yeah. Like it's the, it's going to be him getting the brass ring and then realizing that it sucks to have it, but also just like living in it. Yeah. And even like we saw it where he's talked to Roman in the last episode, he's just becoming much more and more like his father. All of the empathy that we felt for Kendall for four seasons. It's like if you just turn into Logan, it was all for naught. Do you hate all these characters? Because I don't hate them. No. And I feel I root for Kendall Roy, even though he's <laughs> I feel they're like, all terrible. Yeah, I know that they're all terrible. I know that I'm supposed to hate them. But when I like listen to other people talking about it, they're like, everyone's so unlikable. And it's like, yeah, I guess. But I just feel sorry for everybody. I else. root for all of Me the characters, too. except for I lost the ability to root for Roman in the uh, election episode. Uh, but other than that, like that just gave me PTSD. Other than that, like I still root for all the characters. I, even, I root for Tom and Greg. <laughs> Greg's the best. It's one, the, it's one of the most beautiful modern love stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was trying to find the black character on that show that I could root for. Hmm. Good times. All right. Well, thank you, Charlie. For They had Sanai Lathan on there for like one season. That was one. Oh, uh, Kendall's assistant. Yeah. She's black. There we go. Yes. There we go. All right. Well, anyway, Charlie, thank you again. I would like to thank your um, milky white uh, thighs for joining the show also. Uh, thank you, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, Adi Khan, and obviously the good people at Podville for this beautiful set. All right, see y'all next time. I'll keep gregging for you. <laughs> Charlie, keep gregging for me. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.